Hello, and welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast about how to get your start in a career in film. Today, we're talking with Colleen Melizaba, who works in the camera department, primarily as a camera assistant and as a loader. Uh, we met a few years ago on a project that we worked on together, and since then, she's been quite busy on projects such as Captain America, The Fate of the Furious, Vice, uh, the upcoming release Captain Marvel, which is supposed to land later this year in 2019. We caught up about a bunch of stuff, including how she got her start, the decision to join the union, uh, what it's like to live and work in Cleveland as well as Los Angeles, also her perspective on being a woman and working in film. So there's so much good stuff to share in this interview. Let's go ahead and get into it. Okay, so um, I guess sort of to start things off, what do you primarily do uh, working in film? I usually work as a second assistant camera. Okay. Um, I mean, that's kind of what I came up uh, as in Ohio. Okay. Um, the last year or so, I've been working as a loader uh, on some larger projects as kind of uh, a way into working with more professional uh, crew members on larger projects with, I guess, larger flout and, you know, a wider release. Because some of the movies that come to Ohio uh, don't always make it to the theaters or they go straight to DVD or Redbox or whatever. So I have a good connection and he's hiring me as a loader. So whenever he calls, I usually say yes. (laughs) So when I hear loader, I think of film loader. That's what you're talking about. Um, A couple projects I was loading film, and then there were two other projects where I was basically downloading footage instead. Um, So it's a kind of interchangeable title, I guess. But digital loader and film loader. I've worked as both. Gotcha. Okay. How long have you been, t- take us through a little bit of your history of, you know, where you, you're, where you are in your career. Oh my, um, well, I did old fashioned with you. <laughs> yes. Back in 2011. <laughs> yeah. About uh, the same time of year. Yeah. 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 Uh, the weather was super similar to, to this. And actually your neighborhood where you live, when I was driving in here, I'm like, man, this looks like Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I joined the union about a year after that. Okay. Um, IATSE or? Local 600, um, the nationwide camera union here in the States. Um, I joined as a second AC and, uh, you know, I had some uh, qualms about joining because I didn't really feel super uh, experienced as a camera assistant, Um, but everyone who I was working with kept saying like you need to join the union you will not regret it and um i worked pretty much nonstop after that um okay so uh i mean in terms of project what was that project process like joining the union mm-hmm. um well i was very lucky uh, i was working on a project that was a non-union uh show similar to what old-fashioned was mm-hmm. Um, and it basically flipped from oh, okay. non-union to union. So the union basically made me an offer to join and I said yes. And it was just, you know, a mountain of paperwork, right. a free t-shirt and I got my union card and that was it. Um, but it's been 
one of the best decisions I've made in terms of not only not having to negotiate my rate, but also, you know, the healthcare is amazing. And I feel pretty well taken care of in that respect. So it gave you more confidence in knowing what money you would make. Yes. And also healthcare. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then you do get to work with, I mean, most features or, or TV shows for that matter, um, are under the kind of union umbrella. So you're working with super professional, you know, local 600 members who have been doing it, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, so there's a level of experience, I think. So it's a, many things in life are a little bit double-edged. On one hand, it would probably weed out the projects that are maybe not the best experience anyway. Yeah. Um, it might also take away some opportunities, possibly, that you'd be like, oh, I, I'd like to work on that, but I, I can't work on that. Well, you can um, still work on non-union shows. Oh, really? Shows. It, uh, yeah. Tell me more about that. How does that work? Uh, you just, I mean, you just have to report it to the union. Mm, so, okay. um, and, and lots of people probably look the other way uh, in that circumstance. But like I, I work on non-union commercials all the time. Um, obviously, there's a little bit more uh, adjustment in your rate because uh, okay. they don't have to pay the union uh, contract right. uh, rate. But uh, as long as you're reporting it or um, making sure that they're not taking advantage of you, um, and you should obviously kind of understand your contract so that when you get an offer from a movie or a commercial, you can say, well, I deserve to be paid this much and, right. you know, I should be getting paid this much for my travel or wh- whatever. Um, but yeah, you can work on non-union stuff. And um, I mean, the only bad thing I've ever heard is that occasionally you'll have a production that comes into town that does not want to hire union members for whatever reason. Um, oh, I see. So, Because I, you know, I, I didn't know person for person, but I think quite a few folks on Old Fashioned were union. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it was not a union show. And I, I, I this is interesting talking about this because I never really fully understood how that, how that worked or how that was yeah. acceptable. Well, I think if you're working for a good group of people that you know aren't trying to take advantage of you, then a a lot of people look the other way and um, just want to do a good job and and work on a movie that they think is going to be good or that, you know, they like the people they work with. So when you say look the other way, I'm trying to juxtapose that. You're also saying you report it to the union. Mm -hmm. But how does looking the other way come into there? Because it seems like you're being transparent about it. Um, Um, Well, I think... The union doesn't always, if you report something, they don't always pull the trigger and hop on that production immediately. So they turn the other, uh, they, look the other way. They decide whether or not they want to pursue that route of uh, jumping on productions back about being non-union. Um, there, there was one job that I reported one time. Um, it was a non-union commercial. And uh, they showed up to set. But that was because that particular production company had been violating some pretty standard like union practices and rules. Because even though it's not a union uh, commercial, Mm -hmm. 
you're still, you know, it's pretty much understood that you should be following union guidelines, even right. if you're a non-union production. Like, you have to respect your employees and pay them correctly and give them the right amount of turnaround and not work them 18 hours without a break, you know. Right. Um, so it kind of falls in the union's hands in terms of how they want to pull the trigger on certain uh, productions. Right. So what happened when they showed up? Um, they just poked around and asked questions, I think. But I don't think production was happy that they showed up. Um, and I got a call from my my BA that was like, do you know where they're headed next? Because it was a traveling uh, commercial. And he wanted to, you know, find out where they were headed so that they could track them down. A uh, BA, what's that? A business, um, business agent. Okay. Yeah. That's with the union? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's basically there to answer questions. So if I have a question about a contract or what classification I can work in or how travel works between Ohio, Atlanta, New York, whatever... He's there to answer questions about anything, really. I see. So it doesn't sound like they shut down production or anything. No. They just were, it sounds like they were there to sort of put them on notice. They scare them, yeah. 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 It's it's interesting because it sounds like the union, uh, I was sort of had this perception, Not I'm not in a union, um, that if a if something was non-union that the union just sort of stayed away from that and that if you were in the union you couldn't work on stuff that was not union but it sounds like there's actually what to to hear your description a fairly healthy sort of relationship between the different kind of projects mm-hmm. and the union sounds like is kind of um watching your back regardless of where you're working just trying to make sure that you're getting treated fairly yeah, yeah that's what they're there for um I think there is also another co- a common mis- misconception that the union uh, finds you work. Oh, yeah. Which is not true. Okay. Um, you know, they're there so that you can report safety issues, rate issues. You can call them and ask them, you know, about holiday pay. And if you're not getting paid, like your kit rental, production's mm. holding out on you, give yeah. the union a call. You know, they can, they can shake some branches and make some things happen (laughs) right so uh, another thing i think that may be somewhat specific or maybe it's not but i get the impression like i was in atlanta Mm -hmm. and it's a right to work state and there's some union presence there but um yeah there definitely is union presence there but the union can't function in georgia the way that it does in california for example Mm -hmm. and so it seems like uh just the nature of what a union does and can do and what its personality is, so to mm-hmm. speak, seems like it's somewhat regional. I it, think you, so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think it's just different for, cause we, we would fall under uh, the central region, it's okay. West coast, East coast and the central region. And so Ohio and Atlanta fall under the central region. And um, there's a union representative down there, um, but I know at least for like Ohio, Chicago, um, and, and, and any other kind of incentive state in this region reports to the office in Chicago. Okay. So, um, we kind of fall under that umbrella, but 
there's been times when I've called the West Coast and it's kind of a little bit different in terms of what I'm told in the Central Region and the Western Region. Right, because you were in California for a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I have so many questions. It's easy for me to get <laughs> off off track, but I think maybe going all the way back to sort of your your, your story as far as your experience and mm -hmm. so on. You know, we got as far as joining the union, and then yeah. I had a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> so as you good. were. <laughs> no, the union is confusing. I mean, that's one of the things that like young um, up-and-coming camera assistants who aren't in the union always ask me about because it is a confusing process. Um, for a lot of people, uh, including myself, even though they basically offered me um, a free pass to join. Um, but there's a lot of paperwork and lots of stuff you have to go through to get in it, which is, I think, probably a good thing because you have to be determined and um, really dig in to get what you want. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting because your experience getting into the union I, I was talking with Derek uh, Rimmelspa and, you know, he, he got into the DGA mm -hmm. and, um, and he felt very, I, I think that he felt like that was uh, uh, the culmination of a long process of, of working towards something. Absolutely. And um, it sounds like you had a very different experience where you're sort of, were on a project and then it's like, well, thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. know that joining the DGA is like a very, very lengthy, long process. And the DGA is a different union than yes. the one that you're part of. Yeah, so, they yeah. require something insane, like 600 days on set working as, um, you know, in a, give a, a given classification. Right. And I'm not an expert. That's probably, that might be wrong, but... <laughs> Uh, with 600, it's, you know, 100 days. Okay. Um, but, you know, if they're offering you a, a card to join without any kind of um, paperwork saying that you worked as a second AC for 100 days, um, then, I, I, you know, <laughs> I would say yes. Right. <laughs> I did say yes. Right. Right. Okay. So um, one of the things you mentioned just a minute ago is that they don't... Uh, work to help you find jobs. Mm -hmm. um, but how would you feel like that decision has impacted sort of your trajectory? I think joining the union definitely helped me work on more significant projects. Okay. Um, I mean, not soon long after I joined, um, Captain America came to town. Okay. Um, and I got called for it. And I would have never been called had I not joined the union because it's a union set with right. union employees. So I got to work on that for three weeks and that was, you know, an amazing experience because it's just huge movie making. Right. <laughs> um, with costumes and, you know, fight scenes and all these fun toys and a camera department that's like, I think we had up until like G camera. Oh, wow. Yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of cameras, huge camera truck, and, and going to work was just like this fantasy world. Um, so it was a lot of fun, and I think I probably walked on set with giant, you know, eyes, like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I don't yeah. belong here. <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and it sounds like you did. You did belong there. Well, right? yeah, you know, I, I learned a lot. Okay. I learned a lot. Um, 
like my first few years because I was, you know, I had a film degree, but that doesn't really mean anything to onset experience because right. I feel like that's that's where you learn the most uh, on procedures and routines and how you're supposed to do things, and especially with union members because there is a specific kind of way to do things every single time. Right. Um, so I learned quite a bit, um, and I'm still learning. And, and that's part of the reason why I love this job is there's never not going to be a time where uh, I feel like I know 100% of what this industry has to offer. There's always going to be new cameras, new toys to play with. Um, it's a constant learning environment. Yeah, so you feel like it keeps you growing yeah. all the time. Yeah. That's one of the... Um, at the risk of sounding philosophical, that's one of the important uh, aspects of happiness is that you feel that, is that, that you are growing. Mm-hmm. And I think in a career, you know, I was talking with jo- George Kozak earlier today, and he worked at Ford for better part of a decade. And he said it was a great place to work, mm-hmm. but he ran out of ways to sort of grow in that experience. He was making really good money, yeah. but it was a little bit torturous because he's making good money. It feels hard to justify leaving, but he just didn't feel like there was any place for him to go there. It sounds like you're saying that what you do does give you that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, right now I work as a second AC, but if I feel like I have grown out of that position, I can move on to being a first AC and pulling focus. And yeah, I was wondering about that. You, um, you work as, uh, as a second and you've mm-hmm. been doing that for a bit. And I know people who have spent their whole careers ACing, mm-hmm. you know, but have retired mm-hmm. from being ACs. So I think that's certainly a viable career path. Um, but have you thought about, uh, you know, operating or DPing or yeah. things like that? I think about it, but I don't, I don't feel a need to fast track my path. I'm I'm happy where I am right now. Yeah. And I think life just has a way of telling you whether or not it's time to move on. Mm. Um and say, right now say more about that. <laughs> um I think like I, I never would have expected to work as a loader for a year. I never would have expected to work out in LA loading film. Um and I think it's just interesting. If I were to t- tell myself as, uh, you know, who I was six years ago that I would be out in L.A. working on Captain Marvel, I would be <laughs> like, are you kidding? That happens. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm still a little bit blown away by the opportunities that I've that have fallen into my lap. And I think that um, I have so much room to grow uh, as a second still. Um, and as a first, I mean, I, I work occasionally as a first AC on commercials when they come to town. Um, it's something that is difficult, you know, pulling focus is a stressful job. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's looking at you. Exactly. And now we're in this era where, uh, you know, if it's not perfect, people, the standards have gone up. Yes. Quite a bit. Yeah. People are, uh, angry. When it's not right the first time, it's like, well, that's what rehearsals are for. And, you know, rehearsals have gone downhill on, you know, some projects. It's like you you don't get to see the actors in the space. And Yeah. 
I would say probably rehearsals have gone downhill across the board, but on the right kind of project, there at least still is rehearsal. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, you're shooting digitally, so right. you can just roll and roll and roll, and it's not like you're going to run out of film. And, right. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I know... Although it seems like a lot of folks are still shooting. I'm surprised, actually, mm -hmm. by how many major projects still are shot on film. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't ever think to go back and look, but uh, we were talking at the beginning about uh, Star is Born, and I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that was film. I yeah. mean, I saw it on, in the theater, and uh, I would be shocked if it was not film. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, sorry for that sidetrack. No, no. I, I enjoy film loading. It, there's a, like, there's a magic to it that's different. Yeah, being well, a it's digital tactile. Loader. Yeah, you have, to, you have to know what you're doing. Because yeah. if you don't, then the whole day's worth of footage could go yes. <laughs> in the garbage. Yes. And I've had that happen before, too. Yes. Um, not when I was a loader, though. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, but you were talking about first day seeing, mm -hmm. and I sort of cut you off. But if you, as far as, well, I asked you to talk more about, like, life has a way of sort of, letting you know when it's time to change course yeah yeah i think there's just you know signs like being on a project and feeling like perhaps you could be perhaps you want to be in a position to contribute more because my job as a second is very um you know i'm a pack mule i move stuff around i make sure everything's organized um you know, do the slates and facilitate moving the camera around, helping the first AC. But uh, I don't really get, I don't get to make creative decisions. So I feel like when I... Except for with the slate. Yes. There are some. So, <laughs> those decisions might not always be respected. <laughs> they may not end up in the final cut. No, no. But... Uh, you know, I think it's part of what makes the set the set. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and people always tell me, oh, you get to say action, right? Because I have the slate. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I do. Not at all. No. <laughs> I don't say action. <laughs> That'd be very bad if I did. <laughs> well, for a like a, a an A shot, you could you, that could be your word. Your word, your, you know, how you come up with the alphabet. Yes, yes. Yeah, you could come up with words that only other people are supposed to say on set, like action. It could be like... <laughs> that might be very confusing. <laughs> it probably would be, and it's probably a terrible idea. But <laughs> Well, that's what the sound mixer is there for. I usually don't have to say, you know, 29 Baker, you know, take one. I usually just get the slate in there, mark it, and then get out of Dodge, hide okay. somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Duck and cover. So who's reading it? Uh, the sound mixer. Okay. Yeah. Just they have a like a cue mic back there that they say. Yeah, they just, do? they hit record on their station and okay. they, they'll say into their mic, you know, 22 Apple, take one. And then I will mark it. So and... how do you know when they're done? Can you hear them? Uh, no. Um, but usually, you know, you'll have a first AD on set that says, Roll sound, roll, cam roll camera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then that's my cue to put the slate in front of the camera. And once the camera's rolling, I mark it. And then, you know, the sound mixer's always close. So when he hears the AD say cut, that's when he cuts it. And then the whole process right, starts Right, but he again. Voice he's voice slating, right? Mm -hmm. 
He's voice slating his recording. Well, you mean like when he's finished? Yeah. Can you hear him? Mm -mm. No. So how do you know? Like usually, like I'm familiar with the with the AC calling it and then marking it and then clearing. Mm -hmm. So the when the mixer is is calling the you know the or, you know voice slating the scene, mm -hmm. how do you know to not clap over top of there? You don't, but. He's rolling. He's, you know, like he or she is supposed to be rolling by the time the first AD calls for it. So regardless, I think whether or not the slate gets on top of his. Um, they're probably just already over. done with it before you ever get to I'm sure ready to actually mark it. Yeah, I'm sure they're very quick on the because they, the they probably press roll and then mm -hmm. they say it right away yeah i'm interviewing marlo so i'll ask yes him. you must yeah. ask marlo <laughs> he'll give you all the details yes. <laughs> so it's probably just done before you're ready to mark it mm -hmm. and that way anybody who's listening back to it the voice slate is right at the top of the take yeah probably. yeah speculating about things i don't know about oh, maybe dangerous but i i there's so many facets of a film set that I still know nothing about. Um, and that's also really interesting to find out, you know, how other people operate. Because obviously I know, you know, we camera prep, we shoot the movie, we wrap it up, we go home. But people in the production office, you know, I don't know their life, what they deal with every day. Um, right. Wardrobe, makeup, everybody has their own kind of unique stories. I think it would be amazing to have like a film crew document a film crew actually working on a movie. Yeah. I would watch that. Yeah. Hands down. There's yeah. just so much weird stuff that happens. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Like, um, yeah, it'd be interesting if they could somehow have a crew in each department on the same day. Mm -hmm. And so you could sort of go through the day from all these different perspectives mm -hmm. and see how all the dots connect. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Because like, and with production, you know, like, so you see, like when you hear something announced, you see like the decision-making process that came to the change of plans or the change in the day's work or whatever. Yeah. No, it would be, it would be fun because there's definitely games of telephone that get played on set and rumors and speculations, you know, what time we're going to wrap and whether or not we're going to the stage and what happens if it rains, you know, right. everybody's always in full panic mode. Right. <laughs> You know, I have some idea of what a second AC does, mm -hmm. but um, folks out there may not. And you mentioned some of the things, but yeah. take us through what your job is. Well, I think the main part of my job is helping the first AC uh, move the camera around, change lenses, change filters, um, so that he or she only has to worry about pulling focus. That's my, the best that I can do is if they can worry just about pulling focus and getting marks, I've done a good job because everything else should be taken care of. Um, but in addition to like getting the camera set up, I set marks for the actors. So they're setting marks on the follow focus. Mm -hmm. You're setting marks on, on the stage, on the right. set. Right, yeah, for them to hit whether or not right. they actually do. But uh, yeah, setting marks. Um, I slate, which is like such a small part of the job. But It's the most visible, certainly, though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
and then doing camera reports, which is important, you know, for script and um, editorial and post. Uh, and then, you know, some jobs, uh, I'm by myself. You know, it's it's me and the A camera first and the operator and the DP, and there isn't anybody to help. Mm. Um, so in that circumstance, I would be in charge of paperwork, you know, time cards, um, equipment going in and out, making phone calls, um, and, and making sure we have everything we need to make everything work. Um, but like on this job that I'm on currently, we have a loader and we have a camera PA. So, you know, they're doing time cards, they're doing equipment in and outs, calling the camera rental house for more gear, which makes my life so much easier because I can actually really focus on being on set and being present and um, being there to kind of help facilitate move things along. One of the things that George said this morning is that uh, one, one of the pieces of advice he gives to, to um, young people is he says that uh, everybody has a superpower mm -hmm. and everybody also sort of has a kryptonite. And mm -hmm. if you can figure out what your superpower and kryptonite are, mm -hmm. that that can really unlock a, a lot for you. Uh, what superpowers are required for being a second AC? Hmm. An attention to detail, which I've always had. Um, I've always been kind of an organizational freak and um, I like a tidy space and it, that really works out well as a second because the last thing that you want to be doing is scrambling to find something when it's okay. called for. So, you know, putting things back in the same place every time and uh, knowing where things are definitely uh, definitely helps you do a good job at work because no one wants to be waiting on the second AC frantically trying to find like their hi hat. Right. <laughs> if you're wondering what a hi hat is, it's the opposite basically of what it sounds like. It's a way to put the tripod head on the ground. Yes. Yeah. Organization, attention to detail. It sounds like um, establishing and then adhering to sort of best practices and processes mm -hmm. and making things efficient so they can yeah. flow quickly and reliably every time yeah. you need to do something. Yeah. I mean, camera is one of those things that has to be on set first and right. put a frame up so that the DP can light and uh, it, it looks really bad when we show up late or we're disorganized or there's nothing for the director to look at when they arrive on set. Um, so just being quick, but also yeah. being very, I think camera people are known for being very calculated and nerdy and specific. And yes. <laughs> I'm okay with that title, but you know, um, we, we do things a certain way because it works and it has worked for, you know, a hundred years of filmmaking. Right. Where would you say, I think, um, well, I don't think it's even unspoken. Oftentimes it's unspoken, but there's definitely a pecking order within, like, on set. Like, where do you think camera department fits in there? In terms of what, like, importance or? Whatever a pecking order means. I think that there is some implied... One of the things I was talking about with George is he, you know, he worked on Old Fashioned mm -hmm. and then he went on to Fast and Furious and some other things. And mm -hmm. 
uh, he was, I think, taken by surprise uh, because I think the old fashioned was, it, it felt like a professional workplace, but it also felt a little hierarchically flatter, you might oh, say. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then he, on some of the bigger projects he was involved with, he uh, kind of felt like he he had to adjust to figure out what his social uh, status was, <laughs> if you will, on set. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think on some project that projects that exists more than others, you have um, actors that don't really speak to crew members, uh, or the directorial team are kind of kept away from lower member members of the crew mm -hmm. like not every set that i go on is the director chummy with me or sure. says good morning or knows knows my name sure or knows what i do <laughs> <laughs> um but then you have the smaller projects like old-fashioned and you know i've done a couple movies in amish country and those were like very small crew and you know we were all staying at airbnbs or bed and breakfasts and it felt like summer camp and right. everybody is kind of equal and um i will you know agree with you that there is kind of like a hierarchy but it, it kind of depends on the project and yeah and who you're working with and whether or not uh they want to spend time with the crew and know everybody's name because i think that's a personal choice right. also well and i mean there's definitely and maybe I'm just driving in a direction that's uh, not helpful here, but I think that um, camera department is generally a respected department, I would say, on a film set. Yeah. And um, maybe to the point of being a little point of content, like, uh, you know, I'm talking with Marlo and he he's in sound, you know, and there's, there's sometimes this, uh, I don't want to say rivalry between camera and sound, but you know, cameras always got a bigger, you know, a bigger budget and more mm -hmm. people and yeah. things like that. And the sound department is smaller. And sometimes I think it's easy for, for departments that are less visible in some ways to, to feel like they don't get their fair, like the, the respect, the, the level of respect that's commensurate to the actual importance of their job. Yeah. No, I, I can see, I can see where you're going because cameras always on set. So yeah. I feel like, you know, regardless of the situation, you get to interact with the director or the actors. Um, but, you know, somebody who's in art department, who's doing, you know, who's dressing sets before we get to set, before the actual, you know, um, production team comes right. to set, right. you know, obviously has a much different experience um, than somebody who's working on set. And I mean... Working as a loader versus lurking. Well, we're lurking. Let me take that back. <laughs> that might be a Freudian slip there. <laughs> lurking. Yeah. Uh, working as a loader versus working as a second AC yeah. is so different. Yes. You know, um, especially as a film loader, because I never get to be on set because my hands are always, you know, in the changing tent. They're all, I'm, or I'm mm -hmm. always in the dark room or I'm always making phone calls. What's a changing tent? Well, a changing tent uh, is basically a blacked out tent that has armholes in it and you 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 put your you know film magazine and your film in the changing tent and you stick your arms through the armholes and that's how you load film in the dark without any idea uh what you're looking at 
which that blows people's minds. They're like, you don't have the red light? Like, you, you can't see what you're doing? It's all by touch? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's really easy to forget where you put stuff in the bag, too. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's like, I just looked at it. I should know where it is, but it seems to have, I guess, <laughs> well, they, disappeared. They, they do make... They make like the standard size changing tent, but now because of 65 mil, they make a giant jumbo changing tent that's like probably you could like, if you had a small dog, it could probably sleep in there. Right. Which, you know, it occurs to me <laughs> that people listening might be imagining like a tent that you would go camping in. This it's is like of, that, it's but like it's that. like uh, two it, feet wide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's small. It'll it's, fit on your smaller. countertop. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. But very similar to that. But the 65 tent sounds much bigger. It's enormous. Wow. Yeah. We bought one for my loader on um, the second to the last project that I worked on out in L.A. And it just seeing it built. I mean, because it was funny because he's, you know, like the 6'5" tall you know surfer dude and he has yeah. this gigantic changing tent <laughs> but it was very fitting <laughs> is it hard like it seems like it might be hard to reach everything like do those the sleeves come up farther so you've got well, a bigger reach inside the tent you're supposed to bring them up to like your mid arm right through your mid or your uh, bicep, bicep. Mm -hmm. um to just help prevent light leaks yeah yeah you really just want to make sure everything's nice and tight, but yeah, uh, it, it might be. Anytime I did that though, like my, you know, the sleeve was coming way up my arm outside of the tent, mm -hmm. you know, to, to achieve that. But it sounds like if the tent was big, you'd be like shoulder deep in the bag just to reach around. You might. I actually, I hadn't loaded film in the, in the jumbo tent, so I don't know. I don't have that experience. I, see. I, yeah. I actually prefer a dark room. Well, yeah. <laughs> less portable, though. Yes, less portable, but the... Have you ever worked where there was a truck that had a dark room on it? Yes, yeah. Okay. They're pretty common still. Um, on this particular movie, we were shooting 35, 16, and 8 millimeter, and... Um, what movie was this? This movie is called Vice. The okay. trailer just came out. It's oh. the Dick Cheney. I just saw the trailer. It played before A Star is Born. Yeah. Really? That's exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to see it in the actual theater. I've just watched it on YouTube. Did they shoot that up here? No. That no. Was oh, in you LA. was LA. Right. Yeah. yeah, you just said that. Um, oh, wow. The trailer looked really good. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really excited. It's. I, I went out there to go visit my boyfriend. He was working to get his local 80 card, which is just the local grip union out okay. in LA. And um, I went out there to visit him and I texted a few friends to hang out. And I got a text message back from one that said, how do you, how do you feel about working on uh, this movie that I'm doing? Uh, we need to replace our film loader. And I was back in LA within a week. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Taking her place. Um, and uh, I was incredibly nervous. Uh, just because the, the size and the scale of the project. And I had loaded film before, but never on a movie like that. Yeah. Um, well, I love shooting film, but it gives me ulcers. Like, oh, yes. It's, and so I can only imagine on a project of that scale. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I had a couple days to kind of shadow the previous loader, and 
my confidence was boosted. You know, I, f I felt like I can handle this. I can do it. And uh, it turned out to be a really great experience. And I'm, it's one of those projects that I feel like I'll be really proud of at the end of the year when it comes out and I get to go see it and feel like I did something really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's very cool. But so they shot 35, 16, and 8 millimeter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, we had six different film cameras. Uh, I had my own loading So I'm going to get nerdy. What cameras yeah. did you have? Oh, I love this conversation. <laughs> um, we had uh, LT, the 435, okay. 235. Mm -hmm. um, and we had, we, we had 400 foot mags and 1,000 foot mags. So okay. I had all mannerisms of mags on my truck. Was it four perf or three perf? It was three perf. Okay. Yeah. So you get more runtime. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So an, an LT, 435, 235. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we had uh, the 416. Yes, the 16 I've never stuff. used that camera, but it looks amazing. It's great. Yeah. I loaded uh, that particular camera for Carol also. Okay. Um, it's a it's a nice little camera, I think. It's easy to load because you have, you know, the film on one side, and then you can load the take up side in the light. Yeah. It's like coaxial. Yeah. Magazine. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, Aton Aton uses those too. We have an XTR, and it's. You know, the SR cameras, have you shot with like SR3? Or? I think I did in college. Yeah. But it's it's been a lot a while. of schools have SR, SR or SR2s. Mm -hmm. Some may have SR3s, but yeah. I've I've used the SR3 a bit and I don't know, like when I used that camera, I don't know how the, like the 416 sounds so good, but the SR3 was a very good camera. Yeah, so they're rock solid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those film cameras are, I mean, they're made by... Airy. Yeah. They're like just the best of the best. And so the only problem we had was film jams, which happened okay. from time to time. But uh, on which cameras? Um, well, we had these, it was on the 235. We had these little, uh, we call them football style magazines. Um, and we had to, it was, had a very, very specific loop size. Okay. So yeah. if your loop size was like, one perf off it would jam mm. okay which wasn't fun but uh we got the hang of it. it i think it takes just a bit of troubleshooting to kind of figure out you know what looks right and what looks wrong and how to measure it and you know some people will tell you to count the individual perfs yeah but sometimes when you're working on a film set like that it's like time. i don't have time here to see if this works Right. And then you just end up restringing it if it jams. And it was a great learning experience. That was the 235? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What size mags were those? They were 400 footers. 400 footers. Yeah. But usually the 235, because we had those little kind of football style mags, and then we also had the dolphin mags. But I think our operators hated the dolphin mags, so we hardly ever used them. Okay. Were they both 400 foot? Mm-hmm. Because I think they make a 200 foot for that camera too. Yeah, we actually, we had 200 foot like spools and we did load those from time to time um, because we had, we had those football mags and then we had like an even tinier mag that was, you know, just yeah super small yeah. that we had to load with 200 foot spools and the, those were 
those were really hard. If my memory serves correctly, that exact setup is what they used in um, Children of Men Mm. for the long car sequence where the camera was coming down through the roof and did the 360 pan and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) random aside. (laughs) So uh, so you had a 416. Mm Mm-hmm. And then did you have anything else that was 16 millimeter? No, that was just the 416. And then you had Super 8? Super 8, yeah. I think, I don't actually know how much of that will end up in the movie. I think it was more, uh, you know, when we were doing kind of family events, it was supposed to be, you know, recording like the characters would be shooting it with an eight millimeter camera. Right. I see. Um, like the, the old home movie. Yeah. Yeah. Look. Yeah. But it looks beautiful. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm really just excited to see how it turned out. Cause it's, it's obviously a nod to J- Dick Cheney's life, but I think right. the director, Adam McKay kind of took some liberties to make it a bit edgier and, and funnier and, you okay. know, to turn up the volume a little on yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some reimagined scenes and he he uh directed Big Short, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um he used to co-host a podcast actually mm. that I listened to and then I think he got busy with other stuff <laughs> and yeah. stopped. Yeah. But yeah, super interesting guy. Did you get to interact with him at all? Yeah, he's very very sweet and um he's very smart. Mm. And that was kind of my takeaway from kind of listening to him. He's just one of those people that has the gift of really quick uh, humor. Oh, okay. So listening to him kind of direct Christian and and Steve Carell on set was just, I mean, people were like stifling their laughter during takes because these guys would just riff off of each other. And it was, you know comedic gold really when i mean you have you have christian bale in full makeup i did not recognize him in the trailer and uh yeah he's just this the full embodiment of dick cheney from the voice to the mannerisms to the facial expressions to the costume and everything and you have him saying ridiculous things (laughs) uh and i actually i don't uh I don't have it on my phone, but there was one day where we wrapped and uh, the gaffer rigged up some kind of light show because uh, it was the end of a long week. And okay. uh, we were shooting it so like uh, on set, on stage uh, in the Oval Office. And I, we all walked into the Oval Office and there's Christian Bale and um, Sam Rockwell mm-hmm. dancing <laughs> together. But as Dick Cheney and George W. Bush. So, I mean, it's just like surreal things like that where you're like, this is this is a weird business. Yes. It's a weird business, but it, it is very enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> things I'll never see in my life. Right. <laughs> you mentioned that your boyfriend... Working on a uh, and getting into the grip, the grip union, mm-hmm. yeah, in the Los local, Angeles. Okay, yeah. the local sixty, eighty, eighty. Yeah. Okay, and um, so that would imply that that you have a uh, relationship within the film industry. Mm-hmm. Well, how how is how is that? Because I think some people, 
I think one thing that's pretty universally accepted is that if you want to work in the film industry and, you know, be with somebody, they mm-hmm. have to be pretty understanding of what the job entails. Yeah. Um, it's it's good. I, I prefer it. Uh, he's been very understanding about my need to travel for work. Mm. Uh, he's obviously... How under- much do you travel? Over the last year, it's been quite a bit. Okay. Um, it's, it's picked up. Uh, I did work a lot in Cleveland, mostly, and kind of the surrounding area, uh, Pittsburgh. Um, I've done a little bit of time in Chicago, Cincinnati, definitely. Um, but the last year, I've really been, you know, I spent almost a full year in L.A., um, okay, wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Hey, wow. From when yeah. to when? Uh, so I was on Vice on, from October of last year until December. And then I went home for about two months. And then we started uh, Captain Marvel in March. Okay. And that wrapped up in July. Oh, so that's a that's a long run yeah four months yeah okay so los angeles is just one of those towns that's so deeply rooted in the film industry yeah that they really have things figured out you know there's just no uh questions about well the camera truck needs to be close to set or be plugged in overnight and you know it's very systematic i see so they've Gotten all the flies out of the ointment. Yeah, yeah. They know what they're doing over there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Is there any advice you might give somebody, though, who is... Um, does it seem like it does work well to to be involved with somebody that works in film? I, and I don't want to get too personal, but if you've <laughs> had experience with people who are not in film versus mm-hmm. people that are, and obviously r- relationships have a lot to do with just who specific people are. Yeah. But also, I think people in film really do understand what it's about. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to come home at the end of a long day and try to relate to your experience your experience on set to someone else, I think, because it's all very like you have to be there in order to kind of understand how things are working. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's hard. You know, when you come home after a 14 hour day and all you want to do is sleep and, you know, they want to spend time with you or they want to talk to you and you just you just don't have the energy for it or you you can't commit to things like, you know, I I wanted to go to a wedding last Sunday and I I had to bail because I was working, Mm. which, you know, it sucks. Um, But that's just part of the job. Yeah, It's great in the sense that if I wanted to go to Italy for three months tomorrow, I could do it. Yeah. There's nobody stopping me except for me. But if I'm working on a movie and something um, short notice comes up, the you know, the likelihood of me getting away from work to do it is pretty uh, like zero percent chance, really. Right. So you could you could 
leave for Italy after you finish the last two days of this show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, and you say the only thing really stopping you is you, but I, from what I've gotten from talking to people is that, yeah, I could do something like that, but I need to be able to say yes when the phone rings. Yeah. Well, and inevitably, uh, when you book a trip, you'll get a call for work. Right. That's how it works. I mean, right. it just, it's like they know that you're going <laughs> on vacation. And, you know, it's all about the hustle, too. Like, you want to be working. You want your resume to reflect that you have stayed busy. Because if there's a huge gap of time, people... are like, what's going on here? Yeah. I think for me, I've worked on lots of things that... Uh, perhaps might not see the light of day or oh, okay. didn't really seem... Are they not on IMDb? Um, no, most of the, the big ticket items are. I was just looking... I mean, Carol, for me, that was that was a important project to me. Um, My Blind Brother, that was like a really cool indie movie. And then, you know, Fast and Furious. and. <laughs> yeah, George saw you on that. He said he saw you on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, white boy Rick. Um, that's actually uh, I I kind of have a cool story with how I got on to White Boy Rick and okay, it's kind of led me to you know going out to L.A. because I'm working with this first AC who likes me and he kind of keeps calling me back to travel, okay. which is like the dream for a camera assistant. Maybe let's talk about uh, the story about how you got onto White Boy Rick. Okay. Um, uh, they, they shot a camera test, uh, I think it was maybe in February, uh, and I got a phone call from the, uh, production supervisor asking me, you know, if I was available, interested, and I asked him who the first AC was, and he said, it's Bill Coe, and I said, no way, uh, I know, I know Bill, I met him, like, when I got out of college, I wanted to be on set, so I signed up to be an extra on a movie called Real Steel, <laughs> and uh, I ended up meeting him, and he basically kind of gave me some advice and gave me some names of some people to talk to, and uh, he was just one of the first people that kind of steered me in the right direction, and uh that's how I got the job um, because Bill remembered me. And then, you know, after we did that camera test, uh, they they had they were bringing their entire camera department in from L.A. But he asked me if I wanted to be the loader. And um, I've been working for him pretty much ever since then. Uh, I did a day on the Clint Eastwood movie, the latest Clint Eastwood movie, because uh, he's Clint Eastwood's like main focus puller they've done oh, okay. countless movies together and uh backseat or vice uh which is coming out in chris on christmas and then uh captain marvel which was earlier this year so he's been a very wonderful contact to have and he's yeah. a, a wonderful person to work for he's just like so chill and uh you know he's been doing it for probably 30 years and nothing scares him <laughs> gotcha <laughs> but you know he's he's got my back and um he's been a really solid teacher and um employer so you first connected with him when you were in school or just out of school 
I you... think I was just out of school. Okay. Yeah. And you were doing uh, background work? I was a background extra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I just wanted to be on set and that was up in Detroit. So I was, I was driving from Bowling Green where I went to school and up to Detroit and, um, I was, I, they put me, you know, close to the camera and I, I knew the DP at the time. He had just won an Oscar. Oh, wow. Um, Mauro Fiore, who did Avatar. Okay. And so I used that as my <laughs> icebreaker, you know, congratulations right. on your Oscar. And, you know, he, we got to talking and I was like, I just, I want to be in camera. And he invited me to set and that's how I got to meet Bill and a, and a couple other, um, camera assistants and operators that I've actually gotten to reconnect with um, where I am now, which is, I think, really cool to bump into people that uh, I never expected to see again, really, and to have them see that I've, like, grown yeah. into the business and as a camera assistant, and it's a, it's a really cool feeling. You know, it sounds like you've sort of gotten in with a uh, a team a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dream. Yeah. To be right? able to just live where I want to live and travel for work. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to live in LA. I don't really want to live in New York. Yeah. Um, I like Cleveland. I think yeah. it's a really cool city. And the longer I can stay here, the better. And my parents live about an hour south from here too. So, I mean, I, I think it's important to stay close and connected to them. And uh, I have friends here and yeah, it's cheap too, which yeah. is really nice. <laughs> Cost of living is reasonable here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I get, I get paid the same uh, wherever I go because it's an, a nationwide union, but obviously what I get paid here goes farther than it would in LA where the rent would be oh, yeah. three times as much what I'm paying. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so cost of living is reasonable and uh, your rent and mm -hmm. and things like that yeah. are, yeah, it's crazy, crazy what everything costs, especially property value in Los Angeles, just to try to get a quarter of somebody's couch somewhere. <laughs> yeah. We looked up all kind of, kinds of ridiculous Airbnb listings and, you know, it's like camping out in somebody's backyard is like a hundred bucks a night. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. But, you know, people out there, I think, are always looking for ways to sneak in more cash. Is the, is the work here pretty consistent or is it, does it come and go? It's pretty sporadic. We've had some really good years of well i mean i've had good years where I, it seems like i've been working you know from the beginning of the year to the end of the year um and then there's other times where uh you know like we did white boy rick and then there was probably a period after that that was six months of you know maybe a commercial here and there but there was no movies um so it's hard on the film community here because uh, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that I can travel for work a little bit, but, you know, there are other people that, that can't. And um, whether it's experience level or, you know, lack of funds or whatever, they're kind of rooted in Cleveland. So for us, I think it's really important to 
nourish the industry and make sure that we are taking steps in the right direction to make it sustainable, which would include building a stage. So you feel like having, there's not enough studio space here. There's none. Yeah. Yeah. And we also don't have a rental house, like a camera equipment rental house. Oh, really? Uh, we have smaller ones, but nothing like super legitimate that you could actually go, you know, rent. So where does gear come from when projects come to town? Um, sometimes it comes from Panavision out in um, Woodland Hills in California. Okay. Sometimes it comes from Erie in New York. Sometimes it comes from Keslow. Uh, in California or Chicago. It's all shipped in, usually. Okay. Um, very rarely have we, you know, uh, f- staffed a, a project with local camera gear. There is a rental house down in Cincinnati. Yeah. But... Uh, That's where we got cameras for, for um, old-fashioned. Yeah. But, yeah, a lot of the time people are shocked that, you know, the closest legitimate rental house is four hours away and is that chicago no that's um that's, oh since yeah Cincinnati. camera department yeah so it's a little that's a little bit inconvenient it would be nice to have something up here that would facilitate getting camera equipment easier it's really interesting because you live in cleveland but it sounds like you've had significant opportunity to work in los angeles mm-hmm. even though you don't live there and i've definitely talked to people who are like well if you want to work in film in los angeles you got to be in los angeles yeah and that doesn't sound like it's really been the case for you it sounds like you need to know somebody who's in los angeles yeah it helps um with vice um they they brought me in from Ohio. So they paid for my travel. I got a housing stipend uh, per the union contract. Uh, and that was kind of uh, unheard of. Like That a, seems amazing. A, a film loader coming from Ohio to load mo- <laughs> film on a, on a movie in, in, in Los Angeles. Um, but I think part of the problem in LA is that the people that do know how to load film don't want to load it anymore oh interesting you know they've the heyday of film is kind of dying right. um and the, those people that know how to load film are their first acs their camera operators their second acs they're they don't, farther up the food yeah, chain yeah they don't want to go back to loading film and taking the pay cut and dealing with the nonsense that comes with loading film mm. um young people coming up just with digital cameras, they they never got to learn how to load film, or they're scared of it. So there's a kind of a I think an experience gap. Yeah, and with some good reason. Not that it's that difficult to load, but you can't. There are ways to do things wrong, and the consequence. Yeah. What it is is the consequences are just <laughs> astronomical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if you mess up, it is an entire day worth of footage that might be lost or damaged or you know and then you have the whole crew crew looking at you like right what what have you done yeah uh so it's a delicate position did you ever did you watch dailies uh once okay once yeah that was that's something that i think i would love to be a part of more often it's not something that's necessary like as a loader you don't need to be at dailies um, but I would oftentimes really 
I would really love to see what, you know, what came out of the day prior yeah. of shooting. Well, the days are so long already. Yeah. Sitting through all the dailies can be yeah. a chore. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, so that's you've you've had a very interesting experience though as far as being being brought out and and with a living stipend and everything. Yeah. That, that wasn't it wasn't the case on Captain Marvel. Um Did you work as a local? I had that? to, yeah. yeah. Cuz uh Bill talked to me about that while I was on uh Vice. Yeah. Towards the end, he said, you know, how would you like to be Lo- the loader on Captain Marvel, and of course I said, "Well, absolutely." Um, and he basically told me, "Yeah, you have to work as an LA local," which meant that I had to. When you join the union, you you can choose two production cities, and when I joined, I chose New York because it was closer, and also because I didn't have to take uh, safety classes that are mandatory out in Los Angeles. Hmm. So I had to switch my production city to Los Angeles and then I got out to LA about a week before production started so I could take my safety classes. It was worth it though. I feel like I know more camera assistants out in California. So in the long run, I think that'll be beneficial for me. And I can still work in the central region. I can can work in Cleveland, I can work in Atlanta uh, or any of the surrounding cities. That's interesting. I didn't realize that was part of the Part of the thing with the union is you have to choose what, like, what big production city you can work in. Yeah. You've told some stories. <laughs> uh, but this is the more broad question of just any interesting stories. Oh. There is one thing that always jumps out in my head um, that was kind of just like a funny, slightly terrifying uh, experience on a movie that I was working on here. Um, I It was a movie called Jenny's Wedding. Okay. And we were shooting at uh, Nordstrom's on the east side. And uh, throughout the day, production had told me, you know, we're going to replace your camera truck because there's like metal shards in the gas tank or something crazy. Mm. It's like, okay, well, let me know and I'll go downstairs and take all of the equipment off the truck and load it into the new truck. And I touched base with them a couple times before I forgot about it, inevitably, because we got busy or something. And at the end of the night, we rolled down to the loading dock, opened up our truck, and it was empty. (laughs) And uh, the Enterprise or U-Haul guy must have just uh, dropped off the new truck and took the old truck with him with, you know probably a quarter of a million dollars in it <laughs> and right. it was you know halfway to Akron uh, by the time we actually found it but you know that was one of those times it was like a long day we got to the truck we opened it it was empty and I just started laughing because I just thought like this is ridiculous um, but you know production figured it out they tracked it down uh, but that's one of my favorite you know, camera stories. How at much least. longer did that make your day? Um, we just loaded everything into the new truck um, because at, at at a certain point, I was like, "There's nothing I can do to right. help you guys in this situation." So I'm going to go home because you don't want to pay for me to be on the clock either. 
you know, pay pay for me to be on the clock to do nothing. Right. <laughs> so they agreed that it was best for us to just go home. But everybody was pretty entertained by that story. <laughs> Man, yeah. That could that could uh, be a, a wrench in the works. Yeah. Well, I actually do have another good story that I just thought of. Um, that's just more, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Um, on Captain Marvel, we were shooting a splinter unit with like stunts one day, and uh, I got tracked down by a member of the AD department who was asking to see my hands. And uh, I showed him my hands, and he said, uh, Yeah, those, I think those will work. I'm like, What are you talking about? Well, it turns out the, uh, the stunt woman, her hands were all battered up from practicing, and um, they needed somebody with strong but feminine hands. <laughs> I see. So I went to the makeup trailer, and they, like, dirtied up my hand and put tracking dots on it, and I got to set, and the visual effects supervisor was, uh, he was like, so in this scene, this is the scene where Brie Larson becomes Captain Marvel, like she's having the, the powers like surge through her body and they're getting this shot of her hand with the phantom camera running at like thousand frames per second. Okay. So I, I did, you know, this little scene um, and I was like certain that it wouldn't end up in the movie. I was thinking to myself, well, they'll just pick this up during reshoots or something, but you know, the trailer came out a couple weeks ago, and my hand's in the trailer. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, well, that's that's very cool. So yeah. you, you made it into the trailer. I made it into the movie, yeah. my hand. <laughs> wow. So um, women are pretty underrepresented, especially in crew. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm curious what... Um, What's it like being a woman working in film? You you got your hands chosen for something, <laughs> yeah, because of that. Uh, um, but I'm sure that is not the main. <laughs> that was my goal all along. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think it's better now than it has been in terms of women being in the spotlight, especially for like female directors and DPs. Like it's still not great, but there is more, I think, more of a movement happening. Um, but as far as myself, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it can be hard sometimes. You know, on this project that I'm working on, I'm the only woman in my department. Uh, when I was working on Fast 8, out of a crew of, you know, 25 or 30 people, I was the only woman in my department. Hmm. Wow. Um, in that sense, it's hard. Especially on Fast 8, because I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't want to come over the walkie because everyone's going to know it's me. Like, I want to stay quiet. Like, I don't want to <laughs> cause any waves or, you well, know. What's wrong with people knowing it's you? Well, I guess in the sense of, like, I don't want to ask a stupid question, kind of like a, a self-conscious thing. Okay. Because uh, I felt, you know, on a, on a big movie like that, sometimes it's better to know when to be quiet sure uh and there was a lot of insanity on that too just like setting up for stunts and you know cameras everywhere i think one day we had like 22 cameras rolling so sometimes it's better to stay quiet and listen than uh 
come over the walkie and interrupt things. But uh, I don't feel like I've ever been, you know, treated differently as a woman. I think, you know, maybe the worst thing that's happened is people asking me if I need help. Because obviously, oh, okay. you know, I'm a tiny person and sometimes things are heavy and I, I don't take that as a form of disrespect, though. It is, it's, it is going back to relationships. It's one of those things that, like, it's hard, you know, when your uh, partner sees these people that you're working with and they're all men and the right. wheels start turning. Right. Well, she's spending 12 hours a day with, you know, these people and I don't know who they are. And I think on a project that's, you know, lengthy, you do create relationship, relationships with people and... There is kind of like a weird bonding experience and friendship that comes out of working on a feature where you actually like like the people you're working with and yeah. you stay together and yeah. stay in touch and you know maybe you recommend them for work on the next job that you're that you're doing or they recommend you and you travel with them and you never really know I think what you're getting into but being a woman in the camera department is kind of just one of those girl power things yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of women say that to me over yeah. the course of working on this, um, which is really, I think, really heartening. Like there, there's a voice for yeah. women to say like, hey, I see you. I appreciate you. I like look, look at you pushing these heavy carts and lifting the camera and like, go you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there needs to be more of that. Is there any advice that you would give? Be determined. Yeah what I've always strived for is to just dig my heels. And I'm, I mean, I'm stubborn too. My mom is stubborn. I'm stubborn. Um, I don't want to take no for an answer. I don't want to have somebody tell me that I don't know how to do my job. Uh, and if I don't know how to do something, you know, I, I educate myself and, um, learn how it's supposed to be done. Uh, I think, honestly, one of the most important things at the end of the day is to just be somebody pleasant to work with. Yeah. Because it doesn't... I think people will look the other direction if you don't have the level of experience that they're perhaps looking for. Um, but you can be taught and that you are, at the end of the day, just a nice person to be around. Because nobody wants to spend 13 hours with a grump. Yeah. <laughs> um Nobody wants to spend five minutes with a grump. Yeah. Yeah. And when yeah. you're stuck with somebody, sometimes it can be really hard to get through the day. I always want to try to be sensitive when I talk about things like this, because uh, it's uh, as a man, like it's easy to try to make things about uh, me or about men or try to mansplain things or whatever. But yeah. uh, one of the things that uh, I've interviewed a, a few women and talked mm -hmm. about this, and it seems like. Um, a lot of times the advice that people give for, uh, for women in film is actually pretty universally good advice. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it applies to people who feel like they are new to a situation or like they have less credibility or authority. And that's at a certain level, that's everybody who's <coughs> trying to get into film, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, like your story about not wanting to speak on the radio, I think that a lot of people have had that, but what makes it different for you is that 
they're going to know really specifically who it is yeah. because your voice is different yeah. than, than other people's. Um, yeah. Anyway. I, well, I think, um, I think a lot of women struggle with owning their successes too. Yeah. Um, I will, I will, I would say that I was lucky to kind of fall into, uh, what I fell into, which was, you know, working on old fashioned with you. I got in with, with Bill, um, and, and Steve and they, you know, kept calling me back and things just kind of snowballed. Um, and the opportunities that I've been giving, given, I would say, yeah, I feel really lucky and, you know, right place, right time. But a lot of that, and my boyfriend likes to remind me that, you know, I worked really hard. Yeah. And I still work really hard. And I, I try to do the best that I can because that's just, you know, how I've always felt about doing a job is I can't just give 30%. Like, I always have to give 100 That's what makes the difference, you know, yeah. over time. Here's a question. You went to film school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of people who go to film school... Uh, choke a little bit on the idea that when they get on set somewhere, they are not in charge. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, or another way to say that might be not um, being completely aware of sort of where they rank. Yeah. Uh, or what's appropriate behavior mm-hmm. on set. What advice might you have for that situation? We we all have to learn our craft. Yeah. And I think being humble uh, is a great thing. I, st- I still, you know, if I don't know how to do something and I know that I can go to the first AC and say, hey, I've never worked with this piece of equipment before. Can you show me how it's done? Give me some pointers. I'm not afraid to, to say I don't know everything because the only way I'm going to learn is by asking questions. Um, so I think... In that sense, people, I think people respect that. And I mean, if somebody is going to jump down your throat for not knowing something, then maybe they're not somebody you want to work for again. Yeah. I mean, that's always my opinion. Um, also, you know, making mistakes. I'm not going to be the person that says, um, that doesn't, you know, confess to doing something wrong. I'm the first person that says, that's my bad. Mm. I, I messed up. Well, there's no witch hunt once people know. I, I had a camera assistant. Uh, a camera fell. It was on a tripod, and the tripod fell. Oh, no. And um, it was an SR3. Mm. And um, AC didn't say anything to me. He checked it out and thought it was okay. Yeah. And I went to use the follow focus, and it had bent the... Um, oh, the motor? Bent, well, the it, I mean, it was a, a traditional... Yeah. Uh, follow focus not a not a it had no motor you know it was just right, all mechanical yeah. but the dumb side had been bent to where the the axle that goes through it couldn't spin anymore yeah. so he looked at it and thought it was okay but he hadn't actually tried focusing it oh, no. and um it, it's much worse way to find out about something yeah oh yeah <laughs> And not to derail your story, but I think no. there's people, yeah. people, um, it's much worse to try to hide what you've done. Absolutely. Uh, than it is to just go ahead and get it out in the open so it can be, then we can start figuring out, well, what do we do? What's yeah. the solution? No, that hap- I mean, the, the best example I can think of is when I was working on Carol, I, f- I flashed a mag of shot footage. Oh, no. 
yes, I, uh, I think I was simultaneously like, you know, trying to second and load film because our second AC had to go to the uh, hospital. He had bumped his oh, head. Wow. And it's, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning. I'm just running like razor thin. Yeah. And uh, I opened the wrong side, shut it right away. And I stood in the dark room and just, you know, was like internally screaming at myself because <laughs> I knew it was going to be bad. But I mean, the first thing I did was I went and told the first AC, I flashed this mag and, you know, we looked at the camera reports and he told the DP and the operator and it all kind of dissipated. Everybody was like, it happens. Not, luckily, none of the footage that was on that particular role was like very important. Okay. Um, so I had a really good first, you know, flash moment and actually a lot of assistants told me after that you know i wouldn't hire a film loader who hadn't flashed a, a, a mag oh interesting yeah because it really teaches you never to do it again because it's just <laughs> the worst experience yeah especially with shot footage you know with uh with fresh film it's less of it's more of a a cost uh of the film but you know exposed footage is like the cost of the day yeah <laughs> yeah but you know things do happen like that's not the only way, reason somebody's had to reshoot something yeah <laughs> yeah so. especially with film because you you don't know until dailies go through whether it's right. soft or right or even just something like so it's not it's not uh like loading is the only role that can that can mess things up but yeah you hate to <laughs> Yeah. No, every department has their has their flubs and yes. humans aren't perfect and filmmaking is certainly not perfect. Right. Uh oftentimes, you know, you're just trying to get through the day as as best you can, but on some of the uh more difficult projects, it's like you don't have enough staff and the schedule is ridiculous and um, you know, there's a movie to make and you, they have to make their days. Well, I think we've covered most of what I had hoped to. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that you can think of that I know we talked a little bit beforehand uh, as far as what we might be covering? Is there anything that I've missed or anything that you would like to share? I, I, would, I would share that the, the, the film industry is not glamorous. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that it's really glamorous, but it's, it's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of labor. A lot of hard labor uh long hours and it's hard to like have a family or a relationship and it's hard to own a house or an apartment because you just never know <laughs> right. when you're going to be going out the door but i you know it's a lot of time people compare it to running off to join the circus and that's kind of how yeah. i feel it's a good explanation you just mentioned that it's not glamorous and that there are long hours is uh, working, say, as a loader, a second AC on the kind of projects that you're working on, um, you know, you, your time is somewhat valuable on yeah. a project like that. Yeah. Uh, we are paid well. We're paid well for what we do. And, you know, there's there's perks. You know, you get overtime. You get, um, you know, if I'm working out of town, I get what's called idle pay on my days off because... Oh, I see. I can't obviously 
double dip and, you know, work on a commercial or something on my weekend. So they pay me time um, that I'm being taken away from where I would naturally live. I see. And I get paid, you know, per diem. Mm-hmm. So I can feed myself on location. Um, so you do get paid well. And uh, it does make it worthwhile on the right project. Yeah. But there are some projects that it's an imbalance of, you know, I'm getting paid $21 an hour. And okay. we're doing 18-hour days, you know. That's a hard life to yeah. to stick with. Or yeah. you're doing nights and, you know. I've only done two weeks on this pilot and it feels like <laughs> three months. I mean, it's yeah. been a long haul. And I think that's mostly because of the schedule. It's a lot of nights, yeah. uh, 12 hours a day. Your hourly rate, by the time you add in overtime and stuff like that, and the, just the sheer number of hours you're working, mm-hmm. your, prob- your take-home is reasonably good, I would think. Yeah, and they, um, they also include kit rental. Okay. Onto your your check, so you get you know weekly, a couple hundred bucks for the gear that you bring. I see. Yeah. Which you know for me is usually a camera cart and some Kel- you know Pelican cases and mm-hmm. your ditty bag, all that stuff. All kinds of toys. Yeah. Yeah. On Amazon, it's uh, forty four dollars an hour, something okay. like that, for a second AC. Okay. So it's a good project to be yeah. on because the pay is nice and the yeah. hours aren't terrible. Yeah. But Ohio gets a lot of l- low-budget movies, um, which means that uh, they're, they're basically broken into tiers. So you have tier one, tier two, tier three. And um, tier ones and twos, you kind of run into more of a pay cut. Um, but on something like Captain Marvel, it's pretty much the the highest yeah. uh, level of pay, right? Because they can afford it, you know. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because as a as a project has more money behind it, everything becomes more expensive too. Like from a producer <laughs> yeah. standpoint, and easier though. Yeah, that's you know? true. You 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 have a fully staffed department, which is incredible. Um, you have a robust machine. Yes. Yeah. Yes, a very yeah. robust insane machine obviously they're doing something right you know yeah yeah (laughs) every movie has been kind of a success so far thank you so much for taking time Mm -hmm. to share this has been a real pleasure and uh it's fun to talk uh nerd stuff about camera stuff too sometimes it's fun to catch up after so much time years yeah Yeah, it's crazy yeah the time flies yeah (laughs) (laughs) well very cool well thank you so much thank you All right. Thanks again to Colleen for taking the time to uh, sit down with me for a while. I hope you got as much valuable information out of that interview as I did. And certainly if you're interested in a career path that includes camera department, there's a lot of stuff in there to pay attention to. I look forward to spending a little more time with you all next time on Pictures Up.